so as we turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, I will go ahead and read it for you. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's have a moment of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again this morning for your word. As we come before you with our Bibles open before us, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. Reveal to us your intentions for our lives, your intentions for this church. Guide us in how we are to live and how we are to respond and what we can do as we move through this world as Christians in a faraway land. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we finally come to uh, the pretty much the uh, transitioning from the day of Pentecost to uh, the rest of the historical account of the early church, of the witness of the apostles, of the missionaries, of the leaders that came up from the ranks and filed the church. And uh, we are here at this great transition. Uh, we just last week we looked at Peter's sermon as he stood and proclaimed the first sermon, the first gospel proclamation uh, from uh, an apostle, from a believer, from a follower in Jesus Christ. And uh, it was just an amazing series there coming to this point. If you remember, we'll take a step back briefly here and look at what we had all coming to this point. We had the crucifixion of Christ. We had the perfect life of Christ. We had his resurrection above him and all. And then we had his ascension. During that time before he ascended between resurrection and ascension, we had his commanding, his, his entrusting the gospel to the apostles. He had the promise of the Spirit. He told them, if we turn back to Acts chapter 1, uh, we can see that uh, he told and commanded them to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That uh, in verse 8, but you will, and we have the twofold, uh, twofold promise here and equipping for the ministry for all believers. In chapter 1 of verse 8, But if you receive power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we have this promise, we have this twofold promise that you're going to be my witness, and formal before that, you cannot do it on your own, so I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and all of His manifestation to come and pour Himself out upon you, so you will have the power to proclaim the gospel and so that those who listen and hear the gospel will have the ability 
to respond. So we have all of this. We have the preparation of the apostles. And then finally, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost before this great crowd and proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we see, 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. 3,000 what? 3,000 Jewish people? 3,000 pagans? 3,000 worshipers of Baal? 3,000 Romans that worshipped a plethora of gods? Basically, they were a humanistic society. So we have all these different people in one spot. Basically, the cultural center of all ethnic groups contained in one area. And the gospel is proclaimed and it transcends all of them. Ending on verse 41 last week, we read that, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls from all different backgrounds. Men, women, children, Jewish, Gentile, all different backgrounds. And so this week we're going to focus on what? What set them apart from the others that were there? And I've titled this, Three Marks of a Gospel-Driven Church, because here we have the first church. We have basically a set pattern here that is prescriptive and descriptive of what it means to be a church, what it means to be a New Testament church of, of a body of believers, of followers, of King Jesus. And first we're going to see here, number one, that they were devoted to worship. They were devoted to worship. And what does that mean? It means that they were devoted to not stray far away from what it was that made them who they were. Right? So if we are redeemed, if we are followers of Christ, it is an imperative that we worship Him. How do we worship Him? We are devoted to what? The sound teaching of the apostles. We see here in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the first part of their worship. They were devoted to what? Truth. They were devoted to understanding the tenets of the Christian faith. They were devoted to growing in their faith. They were devoted to, to opening up the Bible and seeing how everything relates to who they are and why Jesus has come and, and what the, it matters Romans 6, 17-18 But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching that you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. So they were devoted to learning. They were devoted to sanctification. We talked about this morning in Sunday school. And I think that it's no coincidence that a lot of times Whenever we talk about things, it really helps us break it down in the sermon. Helps us understand this proclamation this, this morning. That we talked about justification by Christ alone through faith alone. The first solo of the Reformation. Justification by faith alone. And what happens after that? Just as John Calvin said, we are justified by faith alone, but faith is not alone. Faith is not alone. James told us that whenever we went through the book of James. He talked about justification by faith alone. But he said what? Justification isn't by faith alone. Do your works show that you are truly justified? 
And basically, this develops from understanding what it means to be justified. By understanding who Jesus is. By understanding who we are. By understanding reconciliation. Because I hate to inform you this morning, but there are so many different cults of Christianity. There are so many different false teachings out there that are leading so many different people astray. We are no longer in a place where we can sit idly by and say the truth is relative. Because when you go to a church and they say that we do not believe Jesus was God, does that matter? If we go to a church and they, de- they deny the triunity of God, does that matter? If we go to a church and they say justification is not by faith alone, but justification is a diving board where you go from that point and you have to earn your salvation. Does that matter? So I believe that truth has a place. I believe that the Bible is here so that we will understand the truth that God has revealed to us. Don't fall into the trap of the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age says what? It's relative. There's many different ways to God. Just follow whatever suits you best. You know what that makes you? That makes you the center of the universe. And God conforms to you instead of you conforming to God. Does that make sense? That whenever you say that whatever I choose to be truth is true, and and that's going to get me to God because God's going to conform to how I want to view Him. The Bible says no. This is God. This is the revelation of God. And you conform yourself to who? Jesus Christ. The perfect man. This only Son of God. Not the one of many sons, but the Son of God. We're called to worship through understanding. Worship through worship what in spirit and in truth, right? A lot of times we like to cut the end of that verse off and just say, worship in spirit, whatever truth you want is fine. The first part of worship is understanding sound teaching. Leaders of the church are called to do what? Teach. Second chapter of Titus. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's the charge that I have. That's the charge that Sunday school teachers have. That's the charge of anyone that would stand before you and proclaim truth from the gospel is to make or from the Bible is to make sure what you teach accords with what? Sound doctrine. The Bible says that. How many times have you heard? No creeds but Christ. I don't need all that doctrine stuff. All I need is Jesus. And that's true. That is, I mean, you, that, that's it. But doctrine comes from our understanding of Jesus. There's no, there's no coincidence here that Paul puts this in the text whenever he writes to Titus. There's no coincidence that Paul throughout the epistles was doing what? Not only was he establishing the churches, but he's also rebuking false teachers. He even rebuked Peter for his tendencies to be a Judaizer. So we need to understand truth, but we need to proclaim it in all patience and kindness.
This is why throughout church history, we started with after the, the succession of the apostles, the first century uh, church leaders, they developed the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed was our first creed outside of Holy Scripture to what a Christian believes. And all throughout history, we've had the Nicene Creed, the Westminster Confession, the London Baptist Confession of Faith, and then recently we had the New Baptist Faith and Message. What was that, 2004, Eddie? Or when was that? 2000, somewhere from, two, I think 2000. Yeah, 2000. Why? Why do we continue to have these confessions of what we believe? Why do we continue to have these creeds and, and these views of doctrine? And the reason why is to combat liberalism within understanding of Scripture. Not liberal, uh, political liberal, nothing like that. But whenever we say that the Bible is not really the Word of God, and it goes back to that whole thing that we're the, the center of the universe, and we just, whatever we want to use from the Bible to conform God's image to ours, that's what I'm talking about. So that's why the church, the biblical New Testament church, continues to stand up and say these are the doctrines of the foundation of our faith, what the Bible clearly and exuberantly teaches. So we were to worship in spirit and truth. And if you turn quickly, you don't have to. I will for you. Again, if you want to. Psalm 51, 10 through 13. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me in a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. So having created a new heart is growing closer to the mind of God, growing closer to who he is and what he wants us to know. And therefore, from that, the psalmist writes that I will teach transgressors your way. From my understanding of who you are, from my understanding of your righteousness, conveying to me, I will lay my life down. I will teach this to others. I will proclaim it. All throughout the world, we have people that come from various backgrounds. And they are transformed to the image of God by the gospel. And it's all they can do to resist, to go take it somewhere else. And proclaim the truth of transgression of sinners by being redeemed by Christ. Secondly, they were devoted to prayer. Look at the second part of of, uh, 42b here. The fellowshipping to the breaking of bread and prayers. Now the greatness of prayer is understanding uh, that we are desiring to know who God is initially. And we pray because we know who God is. Does that make any sense? A lot of times whenever we first become Christians, we pray to God to reveal himself, to show us himself, to help us understand these teachings. And as we grow and we become sanctified, as we grow and learn, we know who God is. We know he's always going to come through. And our prayer life becomes so robust, so strong, because it's always getting closer to the mind of God, always continuing to grow and become closer in our walk with him. Prayer is one of the most neglected things within the life of a Christian. 
one of the most neglected things in the life of a pastor or a teacher or anything. Uh, because a lot of times, I, I, you know, the teaching thing I get, you know, I need to study, I need to be one approved of handling the, the word of truth, as uh, Paul told Timothy, and, uh, and I can sit in my study and I can be content just to go through the books and to prepare messages. But something that I have learned that my messages, they, they could be full of truth. They could be full of, of biblical, scriptural, textual, just powerful truth. But if I'm not dependent on God and just dependent upon myself to bridge that, what they call the homiletical gap from me to you, it's no good. It's no good. Because there again, we would sever worshiping spirit and in truth. Truth isn't any good without the Spirit. Taking the truth and making it do something in this place, in your lives. Taking that truth and hitting it home. So prayer is where that happens. I've, I've not been content to spend at least as much time in prayer as I do in study. And I fell short of that quite often. I fell short of this morning. I have to take my mornings and, and you know, pray for everybody here. Pray for people that come here. Pray for people that don't come here. And just really prepare for this. And prayer is where that all happens. I've had some, I've had some horrific sermons. I mean, awful. And you guys might be chalking this up as one of them. I don't know. And uh, to just see people moved. Just because it's God's word. Just to see people... You know, just because the prayer was right, the, the moving of the Spirit was right. The words didn't come out right, but God took that and He used it. It's just so powerful to see that, that as I grow, I, I know that, that He's going to come through. And that's what I pray for. Just pray that He's going to come through and He's going to do something with each and every one of you every day. Not only Sunday mornings, but every day of the week, that this word is going to come to you. That you're going to be devoted to Him in prayer and, and learning and, and reading your Bible. And, and that's my prayer. Because no amount of good sound teaching, if you consider what I do, good sound teaching, can do anything unless it's coupled to the power of the Spirit in your life. All the understanding in the world, as great as it is and as important as it is, doesn't mean really a pot of beans unless God's working your life and taking that truth and hitting it home. So we're devoted to prayer, and we should all be devoted to prayer. A praying church is a powerful church. Praying individuals are powerful individuals. And uh, as you see that this church, <laughs> as you see throughout history, this church, this right here, this church from verse 42 to 47, did some amazing stuff in a short amount of time. They were devoted they're devoted to the priority of gathering together corporately. This is all part of worship. Worship is, consists of prayer. Worship consists of teaching. Worship consists of gathering together and doing it together. There is no such thing as a solitary Christian. It's not biblical. It's biblical for us to gather together and be part of a community driven by the gospel. It is good to fellowship. What we did last night at the Langs was amazing. We need to do stuff like that all the time. And not just big things like that, but, but just 
just coming together, just, you know, and, and calling one another and saying, how are you doing? I've been thinking about you. I've been praying for you. I just want to know, how's it going? But here we're looking at gathering together corporately. Verse 46, the part of, the first part of verse 46, and day by day they attended the temple together. Now this wasn't a Christian temple. This was a Jewish temple. But they knew that from the Jewish faith that this triune God revealed himself through the Father, through the Son, and through the Holy Spirit. So they knew that this same God who Jerusalem was worshiping was the true God, but they didn't realize the complete revelation of Him. And so they went there to the temple, and they worshiped Jesus. They went to the cultural center, and they worshiped Him. They expressed their new faith through the category of their tradition. So often... Whenever we become a Christian, we think that we need to get out of our culture and get into this polished American Christian culture. That was the biggest problem that um, I believe it was Hudson Taylor had in China. I believe it was Hudson Taylor. Don't put me in that. But regardless, this guy goes to China and he's having a hard time because what he's doing is he's proclaiming the gospel, but he's trying to make it social, kind of. And, and he's saying, you know, part of being a Christian is, is, you know, eating at a kitchen table. You know, no more of this rice stuff. We eat chicken. Um, you know, this sort of a thing. And, and you got to wear, you know, a suit and tie. And you got to do all these different things because this is all part of being a Christian. Because this is my idea of being a Christian. You know how much he accomplished there? Nothing. You won't have anything to do with him. So about five years into it, the bell finally rings. He starts dressing like a Chinaman. Puts on the robe, the sandals, eats with those things, two sticks, chopsticks. I mean, he engages the culture, right? He engages the culture. What changed? What changed about the gospel? The gospel was still the same. He proclaimed the same message. And most of what we can see in China today is attributed to the fact that he was willing to engage the culture. Bright idea, huh? And that's exactly what the gospel does here. It engages the culture. The Christians didn't say, well, you know, we used to be like you Jewish people, but um, we're Christians now, so we're not going to have anything to do with you. No, they knew the culture. They engaged it. They took the message of the gospel to the temple. And you think that's a dangerous place to go, right? Those same guys that run the temple are the same guys that did what? Crucified Jesus. Servants not above his master, that's what Jesus said. They persecute me, they're going to persecute you. And they took it to him. They took it to him. They remained culturally relevant. In order to do that, they were persecuted. They fellowshiped. They lived in a, in like a, a communal type thing here. And, and we see here in verse 42b that they, were, they fellowshiped, they took to breaking of bread and to prayers. Uh, the second part of verse 46, they broke bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. A lot of guys have argued and said, oh, they're talking about communion here. And then other people said, oh, they're talking about just having the sit-down dinner. And people, it's, it's so ridiculous how people argue about that. But 
The point is, is that they did it together, whatever they were doing. And I say it's both. That really rattles both sides of the argument. I say they had communion together and they had a dinner together. They were committed to one another. The mark of a growing church, the mark of a robust, strong church, is that we see each other more than on Sunday mornings, right? We see each other more than on Sunday mornings. Not only do we know your name, but we know your life. We're involved in your life. This church here didn't have a choice. They have a choice. They had to band together or they would have been destroyed. They were so poor. They were persecuted. Many of them lost their homes. They put everything they had together so they could survive. They were once uh, strangers. Now they were family. And, uh, and it was a wonderful place to be. Wonderful place to be. It's wonderful to be around family that love one another. Isn't that amazing? To go, especially if you have a broken home, and you go to somebody else's family, you say, man, this is so great. Can I be part of your family? Can I be part of that? Robust, strong family? Now you think about, you think about it. And I think in church today we have two types of people. Well, we have in church we have Christians and we have non-Christians. A lot of them come to church regardless. But even within the Christian category, we still have two types of people. We have the type of people that are committed, that love the fellowship, and they're, they're growing in their faith, they're strong, they're, they're joyful. And then we have the other type of person that is always disassociated with the church. They're Christian, but they don't come together regularly. They don't engage one another on a personal level. And their spiritual life suffers for that. They suffer for that immensely. And I'm going to show you an example of that here in Psalm 42. Psalm 42, 3 through 5. This is one of my favorite passages in the psalm. And God willing, someday we'll go through it in its entirety. But Psalm 33 through, or 42, 3 through 5. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with loud shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festive. Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You think about this. This is somebody that's going through something hard in his life. The psalmist, we don't know for sure what the, the situation is. We don't know for sure he wrote this psalm. But we know one thing, that this psalmist is no longer with the fellowship of believers. And he is depressed. His tears, what does he say? My tears have been my food day and night. His soul is in turmoil within me. Verse 4, he said that he would even lead the throng and lead them procession to the house of God. He was the first one to come and worship. And he no longer is. But he has hope. Second part of verse 5. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So that's the mark of the Christian. That he has hope. He has hope knowing that whatever he's going through, he can continue on knowing that there is fellowship to be found still. 
It's common conviction. Verse 44 and 45. Those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Well, what does that mean? I don't like that. A lot of people, they read that and they say, I don't want to give my stuff away. I really like my stuff. This isn't what he's talking about. Surely it's not. And um, actually, it's, uh, it is what he's talking about. He didn't say this is symbolic of how they felt in their hearts. I've seen commentaries write that. No joke. This is, they, they spiritually gave all they had. That, that's that doctrine stuff I was talking about earlier. You know, that's that, that, that liberal uh, theology coming into our ranks. What is he talking about? Well, we need to consider the culture. Like I said, they were persecuted. They didn't hardly have anything. To be alone was to do what? Was to die. Now, that, this, isn't, you know, this isn't away from us very far. Go overseas. Get to anywhere other but America, and you're going to find this. You can go to United Kingdom right now and find this. You believe that? You can go to England today and find Christians that are living in, in community in the same house. Because they have to have one another, or they won't survive. They have to put their incomes together to pay rent to have a roof over their head. We're not far from that here. Look at the economy. We need to be willing to live together. It's part of being family. We're family in Christ. We're brothers and sisters in the faith. If I can't turn to you to help me in times of need, who can I turn to? A socialistic government? A communistic government? You know why socialism and... And I'm not going to go on political rant, but you know why socialism and communism is so appealing to people? Because the church isn't doing what God has called it to do. Why do we have social security? Because children no longer want to take care of their elderly parents. Why do we have orphanages? Because Christians are no longer opening up their homes to bring orphanages in. To bring orphans in. Why do we have disability? Because basically, if you, don't, if you hurt yourself and you can't work, you're out on your own. So we have all these things that the government comes and takes the place of. You go to other countries, you don't have these entitlement benefits. And you see a church that is growing phenomenally. Because they're engaging the culture. They're counting people higher than their possessions. This transcends to us. Sorry, it's not spiritual. Or maybe it is spiritual. Not a social club. You imagine, think about this. Could you imagine being a Christian and being together for eternity? And you're not going to forget this place. A lot of us think so. You know, we're still going to have a memory. We're going to know what it was like here. We want to know why? Because we're always going to worship King Jesus for delivering us from this place. We'll never forget the grace and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But you know what comes with that memory? Is that knowing that when you're in heaven, knowing when you look at someone, you recognize that you shut the door on. 
and you didn't open your house to them. You didn't help them when you were, they were in need. I always think about that. Take every opportunity. Can you imagine going and, and confronting the faces in heaven of, of people from mainland China that starved to death? While we sat over here and did nothing? I know heaven is a wonderful place. And I know that we will even rejoice in the fact that God delivered them from that and brought them eternally home. But we still have a memory. We will never forget the crucifixion of Christ. And we'll never forget. It says that in heaven, they rejoice for the martyrs. We'll never forget who the martyrs were. We'll never forget the people that laid their lives down. Are we willing to go? Are we willing to sacrifice what we have here to send the people without? Right? And I'll leave that up to each one of you. Finally, we have a relevant church. Verse 43 and 47, we'll close here. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. Resulting in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Whenever you have a cross-cultural church that looks different from the country club, you are going to be relevant to that culture. Whenever you look different than everyone else, they're going to say, hey, hey, something's going on here. What's going on here? You guys are different. This isn't what I thought Christianity was. And then they see that indeed you are different. And they're going to want to know about this Jesus. They're going to want to understand what is it that makes you so different? Why do you genuinely care about me? Why do you genuinely want to help me? Why are you willing to, 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 to share the gospel with me? This must be important, right? They had favor with the people. You think about it. Think about how we can have favor with people. How we can count others before ourselves, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Those words got to sink in. And you imagine what we can do. Just imagine. Couple that with sound teaching and prayer. Jeez. To run people out of here. We'll have to really start doing church discipline to kind of weed some people out. I'm serious. That's a ma- I mean, that, that's, it's exactly what would happen. That's exactly how we can be a relevant church. Not just here, but everywhere. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we... We thank you and we love you, and uh, we're just so grateful to have a place to come and worship here. And Lord, just praise. We leave here. We will go and just be on fire, Lord. Just, just do something. Just go out on an edge and and just share the gospel, regardless if we know we're gonna get shut down or not. Lord, just pray that you place a burden upon our hearts for the loss in this community. That 
you just bridge the gap from, from the gospel to the heart so that many people will receive, that many people will come to know you, Lord, in faith. Lord, we just love you and bless your name. In Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.